0: Welcome, everybody, back to Bale Sound. We're here with a band that has not been around for decades, but I think that has had quite an impact on our scene. Um, I'm very happy to talk with Simon from Nightmare. Simon, thanks for being on the show.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: You're you're welcome. First question that we always ask, band merch of the day. Everybody who's watching the video sees it, but for all the people who are just listening to our pod. What are you wearing today?
1: I am wearing a very old crowbar long sleeve with the uh, album artwork of their self-titled album. It's pretty ugly uh, and it's used to be black. It looks more gray now and it has uh, holes under my armpits. So, yeah, it's, uh,
0: it's seen too much, but I still love it. That's always the case with those things, right? The more they've seen, the more we love them. Uh, before anybody asks,, yes. I'm wearing something that I acquired at Roadburn, a chat pile shirt. Oh, the nice. show, love the show, love for record, and at least something that I can wear to school and nobody notices. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, they're a great band. i'm uh, I've actually been following them for a long time. I think they're really, really, really awesome,
0: yeah, they are. Um, second question, I know, I know where we are catching you, but please tell our, our listeners or our audience where you are right now.
1: Right now I am in St. John's, in the St. John's neighborhood of Portland, Oregon. Uh, and I'm sitting in my uh office, in my label/slash any kind of work office.
0: <laughs> Is vetben also the place where you write your stuff?
1: partially um so our second guitarist or other guitarist keith um he lives in the area he lives about 40 minutes south uh, of portland and he has a really big studio setup so when we moved into this house for the first time in well over a decade i didn't set myself up for recording as much Mm -hmm. as i used to um and i have a nice open space up here i'm sitting right under the roof and um And I just wanted after years of staring into big towering studio desks, I wanted to be able to, I don't know, breathe a little and enjoy the space that I have for a change. So I didn't I don't have, you know, too much stuff going on here. I just have a a simple interface and I can record ideas if I want to. Um, I'm set up for that. But most of the time I will now just go to Keith's studio to um, be creative there.
0: And you've already mentioned you are that you moved to Portland. I mean, like I know you moved from Berlin or at least from Eastern Germany. Uh, why did you move mm-hmm. out to Portland?
1: So first, I lived in Tampa, Florida, for a couple of years, um, and I moved there because uh, that's where my wife lived. So when I got to know her, she lived in Tampa, and um, after a couple of years of dating, I uh, we decided to get married and. I moved out to Tampa. I uh, hated the climate in Florida. It's disgusting. So, uh, yeah, pretty much the moment I touched down in the US, I, I told her, hey, you know, one day I kind of want to live in the Pacific Northwest, you know, um, because I had come through here in 2008 on a tour with my old band, War from a Harlot's Mouth. And it was like the area in the country that spoke to me immediately. And so, yeah, I was. So I told her about it. We did a road trip up here in 2018, and she was like, "Yep, I get it. Let's do it." And then okay. uh, in 2021,
0: we were finally able to do it. Mm-hmm. So you moved before Tampa won a national championship, an important one at least. Did I? I think so. Wasn't it 22 when Brady got his next trophy in the Super Bowl? Oh, I forgot um but let's talk about important stuff um i always like to start with an icebreaker and when i listen to your new record a lot of associations come up and so i got two questions for you what would you rather listen to right now sonic youth or Krellis?
1: um i think Krellis because they happen to put out a new release on the same day as we did last friday may 5th um i already bought it on bandcamp i have not had the chance to listen to it yet but i'm very very excited to check it out especially since the teaser for it kind of sounded like John Carpenter synth stuff you know and, and uh, the kind of like the melodies that were played in that little teaser immediately spoke to me and I was very excited um, that the album came out just a couple of days after so
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, I've just been too slammed with the band honestly and rehearsing for uh, shows that are coming up this weekend so I haven't had the time to really dive into anyone else's music unfortunately mm-hmm. but
0: I bought it, and I'm waiting to hear it. Or other alternative, John Zorn or Death.
1: <laughs> I don't know. Um, I love John Zorn. Um, however, I think right now, where I'm already kind of stressed out <laughs> <laughs> with, uh, yeah, it's been a stressful couple of yeah. weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if I I would have the nerves for John Zorn. But Jen, yeah. if you would ask me on any other day, maybe I would. I would say John Zorn over death. Uh, yeah, probably John Zorn. But today, maybe death and kind of penned into the background a little
0: bit. Mm. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I've, there is some truth to it. I think you can you could rather put death as some kind of background music, whereas yeah. Zorn always grabs you by the throat and says, Here I am, listen to me. Yeah, that's right. True. Yeah, that's true. But there is some similar effect that your new record has, this, this grabbing by the throat and a not letting go effect uh, in a very, very positive way. So let's talk about deformity adrift. Um, mm-hmm. You've already said it. It's been out a few days now. And how have the reactions been so far? Are you happy with the response you got?
1: Honestly, uh, it's been kind of overwhelming in a way because, you know, um, this album has been a DIY effort to a degree. You know, um, I started the label uh, Total Distance Worship, which we're putting it out on uh, in early 2020, you know, right at the beginning of the pandemic. So when you take a risk like that, uh, you definitely don't know what to expect, right? You temper your expectations a little bit when it comes to how many people can I reach with something that doesn't happen in the ecosystem of of an established record label. So yeah, with that being said, we didn't really know what to expect Uh, up until that point. The pre-order did pretty well um, or did really well and and, um, the responses for all the singles we put out were great. But when the album hit, for me, it was just kind of like a clean slate, you know, and then luckily it hit like a nuclear bomb somehow. I was shocked, honestly, about the responses um, and and just the feedback we got from, you know, uh, several corners. Uh, you know, one thing that happened that really blew me away or kind of just put me in a really good mood was you know, when we when I started my my old band, uh, Well, From a Mouth, I had a certain range of influences, you know, and, and bands that influenced that band. And two musicians from bands that influenced my old music reached out to me on Instagram and told me that they really liked the Nightmare album. And it's kind of like a crazy full circle moment, you know, where okay. all of a sudden, people that you were influenced by come back 20 years later and, you know, and tell you that they like, your music which is nuts uh you know so i don't know just stuff like that uh it was just like a really really great day um you know i hate uh i don't know quote unquote bragging or anything but like uh we ended up really high in the band camp top yeah. sellers on that day which is um on a band camp friday which is such a highly competitive day is uh, you know not something that you necessarily count on again with a more or less DIY release so yeah it's just been uh,
0: insane actually do you feel free to name the two musicians that reached out to you I If not know. then I that's okay i don't know okay. if they would want to. okay yeah I, yeah that's that's yeah. totally fine yeah when listening to deformity adrift i had the feeling correct me if i'm wrong but I had the feeling as if there were more ambient and industrial elements to the whole sound cascade that is happening around the listener. Um, I'm very, very sure that at least the industrial bit is very intentional. We can talk about the ambient stuff. But why did you incorporate that kind of, I don't want to say noise, but that kind of soundscapes and textures into the Um, into the new songs.
1: So, yeah, the industrial part was very intentional. Um, There were elements of that kind of interwoven with our previous material. Um, On our first Tenon EP, uh, the song, what was it? Vessel of Nausea had kind of like an industrial breakdown kind of part. And on our debut album... There is a there's a song called Tidal Waves of Terror that too has a very industrial kind of breakdowny beat to it that actually our drummer Paul recorded in the studio by hitting like ductwork with a metal pipe right um so that was actually kind of like life sample so to speak um so the influence was always there however what happened was in the past um you know our first album took us three and a half years to write um so. I think the result of that was that everything over time, you know, because you overthink everything and you try to perfect everything to maybe beyond the degree that is necessary. Right. And Mm -hmm. what happens is that you homogenize things to a certain degree. You try to really create this like extremely particular vibe and extremely particular sound aesthetic. And so, those industrial elements for example were more subtle in a way and just like little sprinkles here or there although we really like messing with that so the new album was written in three and a half weeks and so what and that kind of forced us to be way more obvious with our influences and with these elements we wanted to incorporate in our sound and industrial was one of them um, and so rather than interweaving those sounds over a long period of time we just put them right in the forefront in certain parts or uh, in the case of the song Taufbefehl we just made a whole song that is you know based around that yeah. and uh, when it comes to the soundscapes you you brought up uh, it's just um, I think sometimes it could feel like songs especially the songs with the industrial elements they need something more you know like you kind of yeah. need to provide some context why am i yeah. ramping up these the industrial percussion right the in, industrial mm-hmm. beat and you, and then it just feels like okay this needs more and um and luckily we we uh, know a lot of very talented people um you know like eli from von limbs he helped he contributed some soundscapes to tough that are really abrasive um and he has several like noise projects and i have put out one of his projects called lung knots that is really really awesome and i just knew he was good at exactly the flavors that we needed um you know to to push those elements to the next level and then um i also worked with my friend jesse uh, jesse zuretti he uh he's a composer, like he works for Marvel and uh, comics and stuff like that. And he, but he's a metal guy. And he had at some point just in a message, he was like, you know, if you ever need help with anything, uh, hit me up. And when we, uh, when we worked on obliterated shrine, uh, I was just like, this is, you know, the opportunity to work with him and and have him come in and provide a lot of more soundscape elements. So Mm -hmm and then even our mixing engineer uh, Rafael uh, he already incorporated um sound and like impact samples and stuff on our first album so he actually kind of messes around with sound effects in the mixing stage too so it's just like a, an organic process a little bit um where we give people certain freedoms to to yeah, experiment
0: that's true. With um by the way if anybody asks who uh, Simon is mentioning when he says uh, the guy who did all the things in the background, Raphael Raphael Bovey from Switzerland, uh, who also did for me one of the most important albums of the last decade, uh, Rockals Heligolabus. Oh yeah, maybe may the extremist, the most extreme doom album ever written. Um, and when, you know, it's when, funny, yeah, you, you go it's on.
1: Funny you- Yeah, It's funny you bring that up because uh, I remember when that album came out and I put it on for the first time and I was insanely impressed by the wall of sound and I didn't know who Rafael was at the time. I was not aware. I didn't know about him and it's funny because I talked to him not too long ago about that album and he was like, oh, this was one of my earlier things you know, uh, like I don't know I don't know if he's like Super proud of it or whatever because obviously he's gotten better, quote unquote. You know, over time as a mixing and mastering engineer, but there's like the balance of like raw and wall of sound that he struck with that album. You know, is is amazing, and I'm actually waiting right now for a vinyl pressing that just came out through uh, Wolfson Vibrancy Records. I just (laughs) talked to them yesterday. The record is on the way to Portland right
0: now, so it's it's uh cool that you're bringing that one up. Yeah, I'm I'm laughing because I'm also waiting on my edition and because we did this huge special here on the repress of Helgo So if anybody wants to find out more about that record, just check our specials. You will find a very, very, very long, it's the longest thing we've ever done, very, very long special on exactly that record. We spoke to the band, we spoke to Rafael. We also spoke to Fabian who's now putting it out again. And uh, yeah, there is a lot of content around that album. So if you want to find out more about this for me and probably also for Simon, groundbreaking album, just check that out. Um, going back to the former tea drift, would you be angered if I said the record is a little less dissonant and a little bit more atmospheric? No,
1: I wouldn't. Uh, I don't know. I don't even know if i agree or disagree right because i don't necessarily dissonance is not a means to an end for me necessarily but it's a vehicle to create atmosphere so if you get a sense of more atmosphere it's still a mission accomplished for me
0: Mm -hmm. yeah it's definitely that it's definitely for me um when we when we listen to the record and you said that it was created or written within three weeks um then I guess my, my following question is a little obsolete, but I'll still ask it nonetheless. Is it, in a way also a reflection on our times, on the state where we're in, beginning of 2023, um, when we seem to have less influence than ever?
1: Mm, I wouldn't say so because uh, first of all, most of the album was written in right before the pandemic um and even recorded most of it was right before the pandemic and then we finished the last elements in early 2022 and then the mixing took some time so it's actually been it's so funny because it was so much quicker to write but then the finishing process and getting everybody on board getting valbok to the vocal feature and all of that you know took that took three years uh but we also made a decision to not release it during the pandemic and we mm-hmm. did release a, an ep in the meantime that was part of the same recording session so with that being said uh some of the lyrics were inspired by current uh things you know for example the lyrics for uh, hammer of desolation were written on the day that the war in ukraine started and it's just a you know, we didn't try to write lyrics about that, but I think some of the themes that were going around the news um, just made their way into it. You know, people were talking about nuclear war. You know, yeah. and so um, and it's interesting because the so, the song title "Hammer of Desolation" I have dragged that around with me for years. Right? It was something. It's, good. it's a very good title. <laughs>
0: it's a very good. Thank track, you. Man. It's
1: very on very on the nose, you know, but some, but that's fun about metal sometimes, right, to be kind of overtly obvious in a way, yeah. so so yeah, the title we dragged directed along with us for a long time we wrote the song um, you know, and we knew this is the song is supposed to be called Hammer of Desolation and the lyrics we started writing on the day the war started, so um, you know, sometimes things happen, you know and you don't really have too much control over it, so, and the outside
0: world does seep into what you're doing for sure. you. It's funny that you mentioned some of the track titles because also what struck me is that there are two track titles in German, right? Mm-hmm. So, who comes up with the track titles and then who writes the lyrics? So,
1: I often come up with track titles every time I hear something or, you know, something inspires me. Uh, I i make notes right when i and oftentimes oftentimes like a song title that crosses my mind kind of informs a little bit of what i want to do with the song right mm-hmm. hammer of desolation obviously it's a song that just really hammers away you know what i mean like it's very it's, the, the title really fits the song and that's because the title had a little bit of influence on the songwriting for some mm-hmm. reason you know it just kind of happened that way yesterday for example i came across the uh, Uh, it's like a psychological term it's called shame spiral and I thought it was like one of the most intense things that I had ever heard and you know I'm not going to provide too much context but it's a very very intense thing you know a psychological phenomena and so uh the moment I heard it I was like okay I need to write this down you know what I mean so it very well may turn into a song on our next release right so so that's what happens with the song titles when it comes to the lyrics um For the songs that don't have titles or just working titles that we don't settle on, uh, we usually end up deriving song titles from what happens with the lyrical content. Um, Usually our vocalist John and I almost split the lyrics 50-50. We get together in the same room and we start coming up with a topic that we want to write about and then we basically do it collaboratively and on the new album, Uh, Keith has because we did that, we recorded vocals at Keith's studio, so he was also present and, you know, contributed some ideas, so it's a very collaborative uh, process, actually, to write the lyrics sometimes.
0: So when you come up with a German track title, of course, you Mm -hmm. then have to explain it to John. Um, Mm -hmm. How does he react when you come up with an idea like Taufbefehl? It's like... uh...
1: I mean, you know, the song titles symbolizes a lot of oppression, you know, it's kind of like religious oppression, you could say, and, you know, explaining that um, isn't, it's not a hard sell necessarily, right? And then it's also, it sounds, you know, again, not to sound very cliche or whatever, but, I, but German titles have a, a nature of sounding a little bit harsh, you know, like rough around the edges, and it kind of... It really works with the context. And I could definitely say that that song title was par- partially inspired by one of my very favorite bands, Valborg, and uh, and who were also ended up featuring on the song, right? So that that whole song had a vision from the start. It was like I knew the title. I knew what I wanted to do with the song. I knew I wanted at least Christian. And ideally, even Jan, um also, featuring in the song and uh luckily christian and i are very close and and i've released some of his side project stuff and even did a valbok vinyl pressing um but yeah it it was just you know it wasn't a hard sell and luckily john is also a big valbok fan and that's kind of how it usually goes i explain the title it fits within our ecosystem um
0: and yeah it's it works out for everyone so you've mentioned, you know, that Keith, for example, is pretty cl- living cl- pretty close to you. And of course, John, being American, can also not be that far away. But how in general is it with a band that is spread out across, across two continents, as Paul is still living in Germany? How does that work for the band?
1: So John also moved to Portland. Um, mm-hmm. the same year as I did uh, he was supposed to move a year later he was you know kind of trying to to do more of a slow exit from New York but he he was born and raised in New York he has lived in New York was just a short break for all of his life and he was ready to c- kind of for a change of scenery and he just happens to love this area as well and then there was extra incentive because you know uh, it sounded like a great idea for all of us to be in a, in a similar area to be able to write together mm-hmm. so Um, Paul is the only member at this point who is not living locally, right? And uh, Paul's time is spread pretty thin with uh, The Ocean. And, you know, the album was written, like I said, in early 2020, late 2019 even. He visited me in Florida at the time for like two weeks. And I wrote about two thirds or a good half of the songs with him. And then I flew out to to Oregon to write the rest with uh, Keith in January of 2020. So uh, I would say both Keith and I are good at drum programming. I hate doing it, but we're both good at it, and so we're capable of writing songs without Paul present. And then we give Paul the material, and he is able to contribute his um, his you know flavors, his own style to it. Mm-hmm. He kind of works out these arrangements uh, more uh, if we have to do it long distance. But generally speaking um the songwriting now is a bit more personal a bit more spontaneous and um and I like it that way because I I stopped enjoying writing songs on the computer uh mm-hmm. which I had to do for for a long time when we were not when we were all spread spread across the end, the globe basically so yeah, it's 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 just different now and hopefully Paul will be able to come over soon so we can write some new material. Um we also have a local drummer now who can help us a little bit, you know. So generally speaking we're in good shape when it comes to songwriting and it's it's fundamentally changing right now how we write songs.
0: But you know, still working with Paul that of course is also keeping long-time friendships alive, right? Of course. Absolutely. I mean, Paul
1: and I started playing together in 2006, I think. And I got to know him in 2004 or something. The moment I met Paul and I saw him play, uh, he was in a local Berlin band and he was immediately like a standout talent to me. And mm-hmm. I, I heard, I, heard I, I saw, I saw and heard his capabilities and they tapped into a part of my music taste that I didn't think anyone in Berlin could um, play. Just straight up, I didn't think anyone in Berlin would be capable of what he was able to play. And at that show, you know, I uh, we got we started talking and we realized we had a lot of overlapping musical passions. And at that time, we were like, one day we'll start a band together. And then that's what we did. And um, with with uh, War, basically, yeah. So I've known Paul for almost twenty years, yeah, just shy of twenty years, and. And yeah, the, being in a band together and being creative together, we write songs very well together, um, also helps maintaining that connection back to Germany, back to Berlin, and uh, helps maintaining the friendship as well.
0: You, We have already spoken about Raphael mastering the record and everything. How important is that part of a process for a record like Deforma Drift? How important is the mastering of
1: the record? So Raphael does both the mixing and the mastering. Mm-hmm. And usually, I prefer for that to be done by different people, mm-hmm. just simply because uh, I like having a fresh set of ears on something. I'm actually mm-hmm. a mastering engineer. I started mastering in 2008, um, and I it was basically my my uh, my main job for many years. And I've shifted a little bit since I started the label, but. Um, so i'm usually pretty picky with the mastering but rafael rafael's mixing approach is kind of i think he mixes into a mastering chain and um and he is just honestly he's just like a an outstanding talent and i trust that i trust that he um that he can do both really really well you know he's not just he's not just making the mix louder and I, that's something yeah. that i've experienced some mixing engineers who also just master it, quote unquote, it's just, okay, now we're pushing the volume, you know, to make, to to achieve a standard. Uh, for Raphael, the mastering being part of the mixing process is just part of his sound design. And so we trust him 100% to do that for us. And um, it has worked out just fine so far.
0: <laughs> With deformity drift. it has worked out more than fine, my friend. Um, so the record is now out on your own label on Total Distance Worship and simultaneous also on Vendetta Um, yes how did that collaboration come along so I've known Stefan
1: from Vendetta Records you know as a Berliner I've known him for uh, also almost two decades and um, you know I remember the earlier days of Vendetta when he was still working out of the backroom of the record store Bisoffs Messer and you know I would that's my favorite record store in Berlin by far you know it's like it is it's the store. best
0: one in Berlin I like Cortex but Bishoff's Messer is exceptional yeah, just different,
1: yeah you know Cortex is very very topical you know like you get punk rock you get hardcore and you get a particular kind of metal you'll find napalm death you know like you'll find the classics at Bisov's Mesa, you find all the weird shit, you know, yeah. not just with metal. They are—it's a more eclectic kind of taste that they cater to. And so for me, it was—it was always the the best record store in Berlin because my musical taste is met with their selection. So, and every time I, you know, I came in, we would always chat. Uh, I would hang out in the back room with him, often chat for an hour or something. So I've just known him for a long time, and when we started planning the album release i was just like i can't i can't swing europe it's not possible i can't do it Mm -hmm. right um i don't have any infrastructure over there um i've been away for long enough that it's also i think harder to if i was if if we were trying to do it ourselves you know um i think creating a whole label infrastructure and all the stuff you got to do PR and marketing and whatnot. I, it's just too big of a project, you know. Um, Paul would have to take on all of these jobs, but he already has a day job at Pelagic Records, you know. Like, so it's just not. Yeah, it just wouldn't be possible to do it ourselves. So Stefan was one of the first people I thought about, um, simply because I know his ethics, the way he runs his label, um, and and him and i always had a had a great relationship so you know i just i just hit him up and i was like hey you know this is happening uh would you be interesting uh, interested in doing it and funny enough he stefan was never like a big fan of my bands right and uh and with this album though we kind of won him over um you know uh, but at first he was just like you know like he was like i don't know if it's like the perfect fit for my label but you know i I'd, I'd like to get involved you know um and and over time he really uh started to appreciate the album and he's really into it now so that's cool you know that's a cool side effect but it wasn't necessarily like he was hunting after us to get this mm. thing released you know i approached him and it was just like yeah sure you know i could see myself helping out with that and um yeah luckily it was very fruitful for all of us i actually think I talked to him yesterday i think the vinyl is all almost sold out he has like 15 copies left or something which is also incredible i didn't know what to expect from europe you know um because europe was always kind of unfortunately for us a little bit of an afterthought especially now that we're the more diy you know we don't we we just don't have an infrastructure over there it, it's as simple as that and so Luckily now we can see the benefits of, of of that as well, and Vendetta are doing a great job. So yeah, it's uh, been nothing but pleasant.
0: So now we've I think covered a lot of ground on the new record, but of course I cannot leave you without also talking about a few of the other things. Um, mm-hmm. You you have mentioned War from a Horlott's mouth. Mouth, one of those bands that, just like you said, were never successful enough in Europe. I think. Um, But was that band for you some kind of like a playground with basically unlimited possibilities, everything is a go? I would say so. I mean,
1: I think it was reasonably successful in Europe in the sense that we were able to tour a lot. Um, You know, we did a lot of bigger tours, but also it was a little bit hard because the music was so... uh, hard to categorize sometimes for people that was also hard to find the right tours for us and we just kind of our first tour was with dying Fetus, but then we also toured with bands like the muir you know just weird you know and that kind of describes the whole dilemma with that band Mm. it was just never really easy to find the right thing necessarily and then i mean sure i would have preferred to tour with converge or dillinger escape plan but getting those kind of tours uh You know, you got to have a different kind of pull. you know, Uh, and, Mm -hmm. and yeah, the band was a playground, you know, the band wasn't super established necessarily in that sense. And almost every album sounded different. Um, So, yeah, I think it was just, it was a great way to build, to build like a musical language in unorthodox music, you know, and try Mm -hmm. everything. And then with the last two albums, we started kind of landing on the style more and more that now Nightmare is catering to um, Voyeur, especially our final album, I think is pretty, so, I mean, it's somewhat in line with what we're doing today. I think someone who likes Nightmare could listen to Voyeur and really like it. I would say that much.
0: Yeah. I, whenever I think about Wall of a Harlot's Mouth, from Harlot's Mouth, it comes to my mind that, you know, I always tell myself if those guys had come from New York, they would have gotten big. You know, I think also, you know, just like you say, it wasn't easy to put you into any category. And then also, you know, Europe didn't have that much of an infrastructure for that kind of sound. A little too too good, too early, so to speak. And you have also already been Uh talking about, or we have been talking about your own label, you know, Total Dissonance Worship, which is now running for three years, roughly, right? Um, how -hmm. much of your daytime does a label take?
1: Almost all of it. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. It's uh yeah. Uh it takes up a lot of time. Um it's basically a not very well-paid full-time job. Let's put it that way. Because you know, obviously it's a very underground-minded label. Um, and we take a lot of risks. We put out you know we'll do short run vinyl pressings of bands that didn't exist, you know, <laughs> to in the public's eye or ear before, and sometimes that works out really well, sometimes it doesn't, and that's fine. Um, but yeah, it's it's a very, very time intensive, um, thing. And actually, Nightmare the new Nightmare album, I think, is release number 100. Um, a couple of the previous a couple of the previous releases uh, catalog numbers so to speak you know in the 90s are still a work in progress they haven't come out yet so you know Mm -hmm. sometimes something takes longer or whatever and i assign a catalog number so it's entirely possible that in six months from now tdw 92 comes out you know although 100 is already out but yeah it's you know so To make a long story short we have a very very vast catalog and putting out that much stuff takes time no matter the format whether it's digital or cassette tape the occasional cd vinyl especially takes time so it's you know it's a very time consuming thing for sure
0: so is that also one of the reasons why you have been releasing so much in 21 and 22 in both years it's more than 20 physical releases. Uh is that the mm-hmm. reason why you do so much?
1: I mean I don't know. I think you know, I think when we started this or when I started the label uh I almost kind of The first, the initial idea was for it to just be an imprint to release Nightmare and repress Old War from Heartless Mouth Records, right? It wasn't necessarily meant to be a label that puts all other stuff. And then the pandemic hit, and I was sitting there with time on my hands and with this whole concept. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: just ironically, I also had a Spotify playlist called Total Dissonance Worship that was um, relatively successful. You know, had a couple thousand subscribers. And um, and. Nice. Very nice. Love to hear it. So, you know, that I started, you know, on Spotify, it's kind of this thing. Sometimes you think about a band, you type them into Spotify, they're not represented on Spotify. And there are two reasons for that. One is they don't want to, and I respect that. Mm -hmm. Reason number two is they don't know how to do it themselves, right? Mm -hmm. Or they, uh, yeah, they don't know, or, you know, it's just not really crossing their mind. And that's kind of what happened in the very early days of total distance worship. I would, you know, I, I just wanted to throw something on that playlist. And then I realized, oh, this isn't represented on, on Spotify. So I would mm-hmm. hit those people up and I would just be like, hey, do you need help putting this on Spotify? Because I can help. I can get it on there and mm-hmm. I'll, you know, every December of the year, you'll get a check. It's probably small because <laughs> streaming doesn't pay a lot, but I'll pay you regardless, you know? And so... That's kind of how it started and then in later 2020 I put up my first tape release and then also started working on vinyl um, over time and then I think vinyl started in 2021 so it was just like a, it was just like a process honestly that a natural organic process where I just you know and then Bens hit me up sometimes and sometimes it's really good and those are bands like Quadrat, for example from Greece, Um, that project didn't exist in publicly at all. Mm -hmm. And uh, Ivan sent me an email and was like, Hey, I have a band and I like your label and I would like to put it out. And he didn't, didn't didn't even have music at the time to show me. And I was like, well, cool. Send me something when you got something, you know, and then he sent it to me and I was really impressed and we put it out and the tape sold out during pre-order. It just, you know, sometimes you catch, catch kind of like this, this, this little moment in time where, right time in the right place but yeah it's a very organic process uh between me finding bands i stumble over band camp pages of incredible albums and three people have bought it you know and i'm just like what the hell is wrong with this i need Mm -hmm. to reach out to those people and see if we can do something with it and i guess seven out of ten times you get a response some bands are just not active they don't care they put it out and then they disappear for years you know so it's like it's a lot of it's a very weird uh, niche with very, you know, sometimes very eccentric people, um, or just people who do things different in general. So yeah, I guess it's not necessarily one hundred percent an answer to your question. But no, it is.
0: Can... It is. It is. It's it's a wonderful answer. Don't worry. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but you don't too. Don't do too many co-releases with other labels, right?
1: Yeah, I have. I have worked with uh, Throat Runner Records, for example, we put out Murier, um, their last album. I was just a big fan of them and I did license their first album for a tape release um, from Throat Runner And I've also known Matthias from Throat Runner since the War well, From Harlots Mouth days. Um, I always loved the label. I bought a lot of his very first releases when he just got started. And to work with him was kind of a no-brainer for me. And he's really, really good to work with. And he had also previously um, put... St- so Throat Warner also run Deathwish Europe. And Deathwish Europe was one of the only places you could get some of my releases uh, mm-hmm. on vinyl. And that's, again, because he's great to work with and supportive of the label. So the reason I don't do too many co-releases, I'm open to it. Um I'm open to it, but a lot of the time, I think it would have to make sense in a way where either it's two completely different territories, like with Throat Runner in Europe, I'm in the US, it kind of makes sense to put our resources together and do something together to give band exposure on both continents, so to speak. Um, It's like Dunk and and A Thousand Arms for
0: post-rock, right? They also do the Yeah.
1: Understood. Yeah, I I didn't know the, I didn't know that they did that, but um, yeah, it, you know, I think I think that makes sense to me. It's you know, I'm curious. Sometimes I see releases. Uh, I put out a vinyl by the band uh, P. Laurie from France, like mm-hmm. uh, kind of like a hardcore band uh, with like a discordant edge to it a little bit, and I just really like the album. And I saw that the European release—it looked like I was co-released by like seven labels or something. I don't know mm. how that would function. I don't know if I could work that way necessarily, but I do like working occasionally with one other label, you know, mm. and bundle those resources. I think everything else would maybe get a bit too complicated. Um, so the U.S. release I just did by myself—it had nothing to do with the other labels uh, that mm. took care of the Euro release. So I don't know how that how that process works when you have so many different labels involved.
0: Mm. Yeah, sometimes I also see that, especially in hardcore circles, right? Sometimes I have like eight, nine labels doing something. And the only thing that makes sense to me is that behind all of those labels, there's like a record shop. And they put together money to finance, for example, the pressing. But that's the only way that it makes sense to me. Um, Last question before we no, Two more questions before we come to our infamous quickfire round. Um, All right. If you could drop three, four or five major influences on your on your very own kind of writing music or the music that you produced, what influenced you as a musician? Um,
1: so I would definitely say Gorguts are a big influence on me, um, or were. I remember the way I stumbled over Gorguts was kind of like, it was kind of like in reverse. Um, I was into a lot of chaotic and like sort of dissonant hardcore stuff again, like Dillinger mm-hmm. Escape Plan. And like a metal friend of mine um, was just like, oh, you should check out Gorguts, you know? Like, I think you would like you would like Gorguts. Uh, it, you know, it has some of what you're doing just in a more death metal context. And I checked mm-hmm. them out and I was blown away by the album obscura that was was recommended to me um, so gargats i would have to i i would have to call them out um celtic frost and Trypticon
0: uh,
1: you know, the last like monotheist the final celtic frost album when that came out again a friend recommended it to me i didn't really know what to expect and it you know that album taught me a lot about heaviness with reduced you know like not a lot going on sometimes yet kind of playing the heaviest riffs you know so a lot of my heavy influences come from from that direction and Tripticon, you know kind of continued that aesthetic um so that would be a big influence for me um let's see what else one of my most influential oh it was just two if, just by now it me?
0: were only two because okay. celtic frost I'll and be... Triptychon counts as one don't worry
1: <laughs> yeah, right so, and then Gorgaz. Yeah, Gorgaz, Celtic Frost, Terticon. Um So one of my main influences, old, old influences, are um, Ion Dissonance, actually. you mm. know, um, So Ion Dissonance informed my a lot of my taste when I was in War From a Heartless Mouth, and they are still relevant to what I'm doing today. Their mm-hmm. album, Solace, like a mid two thousand, so it's not that old, actually. But their their album, Solace, for me, is a... An absolute like reference in dissonant, extreme, low-tuned, unhinged, ma- like maniac music. You know, <laughs> it's just an insane album. And um and yeah, the influence of that is timeless to me personally. Mm-hmm. It still seeps into what I do today. Um, Mayhem mm-hmm. is another one. Uh, and he, I one always like Mayhem. Yep mayhem uh i really like the album ordo at cow uh, we once played a show in munich with war from a mouth at backstage and mayhem play we were playing the bigger room and it happened to be on that tour and after our show they they were just starting so we ran over and watched them and it's funny because at the time the venue was pretty i there were maybe a hundred people to see mayhem it was not a big show and i know that album was not very popular with mayhem fans but it's the weirdest shit they ever put out again it's dissonant it has the weird production the show was insane um i also like their older stuff i like their last album a lot but that album to me is a huge influence and so i have one more uh fear factory fear factory made me want to play guitar which Which album uh, demanufacture and also.
0: Ooh, yes, good, good choice. Obsolete good choice. is also great. Obsolete, obsolete is, is the most atmospheric stuff they ever did. I agree with that. Yeah, and and, and and I have a. I always I always like to tell that story. If anybody listens and li- listens to it again, <clears throat> when I grew up, I grew up with my godfather basically, and mm-hmm. <clears throat> uh, I've never seen a sixty-year-old man run into anybody else's room and scream like, I need that record that you took from the car. Yeah. Which one? The black one. It's of no use. And he was standing there like, ding, 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 ding. ding." Oh, Fear Factory. Yes. <laughs> That's amazing. That's why I love the yeah. game. Um, coming back to to iron dissonance would that be like a dream release on total dissonance worship for you a new iron dissonance record um
1: well it's it's funny because i actually had the honor of pressing their first album on vinyl for the first time ever um Mm -hmm. in 2021 Mm -hmm. and then so I actually, I am working currently with the band on two more pressings. Uh, so one being Solace, which the band fully remixed uh, and it sounds like a new record and there's stuff on there that you never even heard in the original mix. Okay. Which is, yeah. Just because it was a bit, I guess a bit messy. Right. Um And I didn't, I never thought the album didn't sound good, but now that I have heard the new mix, it's definitely a huge step up. So that is Honestly, one of, since that album is so personal to me, being able to repress that on vinyl and, and kind of repress it in that, like, ultimate way, you know, where it, just, it sounds better, the vinyl is going to be spectacular. Um, that, to me, is probably, when I started with the label, I think, you know, that's probably as important as something could get to me. Uh, and like that's, like, almost the biggest deal. So... You know, I'm glad. I'm glad I can do that with the band, and I'm glad that it's gonna be a more enhanced version of the album than people ever heard before. So that's yeah. When when um their current bassist remixed it, when he sent me the first remixed song, I almost like uh, I almost cried a little bit. I was just I just had like a really emotional moment because it dawned on me that you know. This has never sounded so good and this is my probably my key influence for everything and here i am hearing it um in this improved version you know and yeah it just it just kind of yeah i was just kind of emotional a little bit when that happened because i just couldn't believe it how great it sounded and everything and and being a part of it so that is happening we're also going to be pressing their album cursed for the very first time on vinyl that never that was never pressed on vinyl would a new album be a big dream to put out? I mean, sure, I'm, you know, I've worked with a band before, I would happily put out something new, but I also think they're still under contract with another label as far as new music goes, and they're not very active. So I don't know mm-hmm. what's going to happen with that, but I'm not going to be in a position to put out anything new from them anytime soon.
0: Is there any other band where you say, like, doing that would be like a wet dream coming true? Um, Gorgots probably right.
1: I was just about to say that Gorgots would be would be something I would be happy to do. Um, I'm getting somewhat close to that. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Pellet Vale by any chance. So A Pellet Vale was okay. So Pellet Vale was um this like all star collective of band uh, of band members. Um that was put together for metal injections slay at home festival mm-hmm. it was Rick from gorguts dave from revocation liam from dillinger escape plan mm-hmm. and elliot from car Bomb, and they wrote one song together and the song is phenomenal and i actually uh ended up pressing it on vinyl and it's a single song seven inch and i have it in boxes behind me so uh at least i've I got to work with with um, you know Luke and and, and Dave and uh, Liam and Elliot. They're all great musicians, you know, and uh, uh, it's exciting to do that. But it's just a single song, and we don't know if there's ever going to be more material from that band. That's completely unclear. I feel like maybe not, but you know, I wanted to I wanted to get that song into the physical realm because it is very 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 good, and um, mm. I thought it was a shame that it was just on. YouTube basically.
0: Very good. So let's hit you up with our quickfire bombs. <clears throat> you always get two alternatives like black versus white, roses versus tulips, AC versus DC, and you have to make a choice and give a right. short explanation on your choice. Um, okay. Let's start up with a little bit of death metal. <clears throat> Scarcity or Pyron, two of the Duck Moore project. Hmm.
1: I would say, you know, I haven't listened to Scarcity as much. Do I, that. I will say that much. It's an awesome album. I have it. I have the record. Uh I have listened to it and I think it's really good. But I think um I don't know. So it's so interesting because you know, evidently I'm into very dissonant music, microtonal Extreme metal doesn't always speak to me in the same way. Okay. So, yeah. So not always. I think it's great, but uh, I think I think I like uh, the other one better
0: personally. Iron. Okay. Um. Sorry. Some weird shit, Mister Bungle versus some of the Melvins crazier stuff. What would you choose?
1: Probably probably the melvins um uh, the only reason i don't i'm not like a diehard listener of either um mm-hmm. the reason mr bungle gets a little bit too goofy for me sometimes mm-hmm. the mel i'm choosing the melvins because i've seen him live a couple of times and i always had a great time mm-hmm. um so so i will say the melvins mm-hmm.
0: as you're wearing a crowbar shirt uh two bands Somewhat loosely connected to that whole Louisiana swamp metal stuff scene. Uh, down versus corrosion of conformity.
1: I uh, don't no. I'm not heavily into either of them. I'm mm-hmm. just going to say I had God.
0: <laughs> <laughs> good, good way to weasel around it. Okay, cool. Uh, you're German, so let's kick off with some German very good stuff accept versus right. blind guardian accept um Ooh! blind okay. guardian are a little bit
1: yeah i think blind guardian are a little bit too um... it's like a little too, too much for me sometimes but again also not not stuff that i listen to a lot yeah. and yeah. i you know what i'm also not a huge accept fan i don't know man hard to answer
0: <laughs> it's it's the less the smaller evil, right that you're choosing. Um, and and it will oh. be the same with the next question. Scorpions versus running wild
1: <laughs> Scorpions because I remember I have fond memories of listening to scorpions in the car uh, on my way to Italy as a kid. And as a kid, when you don't, Scrutinize music very heavily. Uh, You just take it for what it is. You don't overthink it. Driving through the mountains over the Brenner uh, Pass and listening to Scorpions was kind of epic. So that's my answer.
0: That's true. It's true. Yeah. Uh, We talked about some kind of industrial sound to the record. Godflesh versus Ministry.
1: Definitely Godflesh. uh, Harder darker um ministry is a little bit you know um it's like is like that also
0: mid- a little bit too goofy for you at sometimes i mean like jesus built my hot rod
1: yeah you know it kind of leans towards like white zombie rob zombie a little bit mm-hmm. too much for me Yeah. lot yeah. you know, times it's a little bit too like disco for me almost you know what i mean so mm-hmm. and in a way right so it, i think yeah, so Godflesh to me is the choice. Uh, definitely a bigger influence on mine. Um, I could also throw in old swans, you know, filth or mm-hmm. whatever, yeah. which clearly Godflesh are very influenced
0: by. So, mm-hmm.
1: so I definitely Godflesh, one hundred percent.
0: I'm very sure that you also listened to your fair share of hardcore back in the day. So yeah. let's throw in. So let's throw in some New York shit. Sick of it all versus Agnostic Front.
1: Sick of it all I like better. Um yeah. Just I like the energy better. It's a bit more mm-hmm. aggressive. Yeah. So I would say sick of it all.
0: Um be- before we come to a little bit more dissonance again, uh mm-hmm. let's let's ask two mm, production-wise questions. What do you rather listen to? Cassette or vinyl? Or stream? Definitely. Um
1: well vinyl is my favorite format but not necessarily always just for the sound factor sometimes i think certain things don't work out as well on vinyl like i don't know if i would necessarily buy super clinically produced tech death metal i don't know if that's something where i like i need vinyl right so Mm -hmm. um However, f- for the sake of convenience, I do stream a lot because when I'm, the one thing I will say that I like about streaming is, let's say I listen to something here while I'm working in my office and then I have to jump into the car and drive somewhere and get something. Uh, exactly where I left off in my office, my streaming service will pick up in the car and yeah. keep playing. So the convenience of streaming is definitely a big factor in my day-to-day music listening mm-hmm. habits, but yeah. If I want to sit down and take my time, I listen to vinyl.
0: We have spoken about mastering. Mm-hmm. Um, what is your preferred choice for let's say an upcoming Nightmare album? Would you rather do it yourself or enjoy in, not enjoy um employ somebody like James Plotkin? Um
1: First of all, James Plotkin is local. I just connected with him on Facebook, so just random. Um, I will always choose someone else, um, especially Mm -hmm. for album. The Mm -hmm. reason being uh, that when you work on a piece of music for so long, and we do most of the recording ourselves, Mm -hmm. right, and so we already put so much time and effort into the sounds uh, that I feel like at some point you're just burned out on it a little bit so i would rather i would rather give the mastering to someone else or you know in the case of rafael he does everything in one in one step and and we know it's going to be good but yeah i will i have mastered stuff of ours in the past but it's only like releases with two or three songs i'm willing to do that but like major releases albums i don't i don't want to touch that
0: before anybody asks who is james plotkin again Look at our website. You will find something. Um, something local for you as well. Maybe not both of them death metal, but really, really good metal. more right. versus chornobog.
1: I like Chornobok more. Um, mm. Speaks more to my musical preferences. Mm. And... I think that's all i could really say to that yeah that's it's
0: already just... okay and last question when you're done i think i already know the answer to that one but let's try frontiera uh... versus carbon
1: Oof. that's very actually very hard to answer uh and i don't know if i could i could know if i could pick one if i had to make a choice it would not be a musical one the choice would be Frontier for the reason that I'm very, very good friends with Pedram.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, Pedram has been really uh, he's been like a motivating factor for me in different scenarios, right? I, you know, sometimes he, we would just talk about music, talk about being in bands, doing certain things with our bands, and he would just kind of kick my ass and be like, you, you should do this, you know, mm-hmm. just do it, you know, work. Uh, so it's like you know, uh, yeah, he would just like give some sort of advice and vice mm-hmm. versa, you know. What I mean? But like, I just found myself inspired or or motivated by things he has he has said to me. And also, uh, to give credit where credit is due, Total Distance Worship, ninety nine percent of our digital releases are available for name your price on Bandcamp, and the reason for that is, a Padram. Or Frontier and B, um, Brendan from Convolsting, who played bass on our new album. Both of them, both projects have offered their stuff for Name Your Price from the get go. And, um, you know, at some point I just contacted them and asked them about it. I was like, hey, how did that go for you? What's your experience? How much are people willing to pay? And both of them were nice enough to actually share the actual numbers with me which was very impressive uh in both cases and um and gave me great insight into kind of what happens when you give people a choice you know Mm -hmm. um and i think the simple answer to that is if you force someone to buy a digital album for ten dollars uh some people a just don't want to do that and I understand that that's a lot of money for something you could stream uh, along with the history of music on Spotify for the same money um, and and you know uh, some people are just not able to not everyone can afford to throw 10 bucks at a digital download however if you give them a choice even if they don't have money maybe like you know what I have $3 and I'll throw $3 at this album and you know um, I can say that my digital sales, and that goes for Nightmare and for Total Distance Worship, have gone up ever since we switched to Name Your Price. And significantly. Like, we used to sell physical releases, fine, but no one would touch the digital. Ever Mm -hmm. since it's been Name Your Price, people are actually incentivized to spend money on the digital, too. So, I have... I have those two people to thank for that. And so if I had to make a choice, it would be a purely personal one. And I would give Frontier the thumbs up. Uh, musically speaking,
0: they're both phenomenal. True, true. So Simon, thanks for all the wonderful insight. Thanks for your choices. Thanks for your time. And thanks for the new record. Uh, it's definitely mind-blowingly good. It came to me as a surprise. I've listened to the stuff before. I like the stuff before, but this I have to say it again, this is top-notch. So everybody, if you haven't listened to it yet, listen to this album. It might end up in a lot, or it will end up in a lot of people's lists at the end of the year. Simon, thanks for being on the show.
1: Thank you for having me, and thanks for all the words about our album. I appreciate that.
0: Really, really nice. So enjoy the rest of your day, man.
1: You as well. Well, enjoy the rest of your night, I should say. <laughs> Thanks.